that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. I'm Doug Maurice. He's Nathan Baird. He's Stephen Means. We are doing rapid fire again. We got eight questions lined up. If you want to be able to ask us questions for this podcast, become a tech subscriber. 614-350-3315. Question number one. From the 614, this person said they found a quote from Ryan Day that said, this could have been a once-in-a-lifetime team. Ryan Day did say that immediately after the cancellation, I think. I think at his lowest ebb, uh, he did issue that quote. That was before we knew the Big Ten would play, the, the texter asks. I'm guessing he still believes that. Nathan, so I want to make this a two-part question. Do you think Ryan Day believes that this Ohio State team in 2020 is a once-in-a-lifetime team? And do you, Nathan Baird, believe this is a once-in-a-lifetime team? I'm going to take the second part first, Doug. I don't necessarily feel that way. It's not that I don't think this is a very good collection of talent, but just when you compare it to other Ohio State teams from the past 10 or 15 years – and what those teams had on both sides of the ball that we don't know yet about certain aspects of this team. I can't go there and say once in a lifetime. Uh, I do think Ryan Day in that moment, I think we've seen uh, Ryan Day's gotten a lot of credit for how he's kind of held this team together. But I think we've also seen some hyperbolic moments from Ryan Day. And I understand it because again, you, you're, you've got all this, all these people depending on you, all these players depending on you. And when they're all disappointed and you don't have answers, I think sometimes that frustration came out in some answers that might've been like, 18% more than what was the actual reality of the situation. So I don't know. I, I, I will say this though. I do wonder if his answer had anything to do with the full circumstances of college football. Is it not so much about just what you feel about your talent? Is it because you've looked around college football and you think, Oh, you know, maybe we aren't as good as we were even last year, but we are still ahead of where we think everybody else is. This is our opportunity to go take it. Maybe that was part of his answer. I don't know. Steven, does Ryan Day think it, and do you think it? He 100% thinks it. I think he's going to think that every single year. <laughs> so you think – so his answer is he thinks every team every yeah. year is a once-in-a-lifetime team. Which means that he doesn't is, believe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dabo Sweeney's walking around going, this is the most talented Clemson team I've ever had. Sure, you think that. It's the most recent team you've ever had. I don't, I don't know if this is a once-in-a-lifetime team. I do think that the opportunity that's presented in front of them – I'm not going to say it's once-in-a-lifetime because it's Ohio State, but there's an opportunity to do something special this year for the team, sure, because – you brought back a lot from last season, especially on offense, at the mo- and your most important position is back at quarterback. And Ryan Day no longer has that. He's never been a head coach, you know, name tag anymore. He showed he could do in his first year getting to the playoff. And so you would think the next step is possibly winning a national championship. But I, I don't – I mean, once-in-a-lifetime team, we're talking about a team that they lose a five-star kid to the NFL, and then there's another, you know, top 100 five-star kid behind him who ends up being an NFL player as well. So – I don't know if Ohio State can necessarily have a once-in-a-lifetime team unless they just had a year where 15 of their 22 starters were first-round draft picks. I will say uh, he also knows there's only one year where you get Justin Fields at his peak of his college talents, and that was only going to be this coming season. So that probably factored into his answer. I think he thinks he might have a -a once-in-a-lifetime quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. He's a quarterback guy. I think Justin Fields has everything that Ryan Day wants, or that anybody wants. He can throw it. He can run it. He's got the arm strength. He's got the accuracy. He's got the leadership. He's got the work ethic. Like, he's got everything. I don't know that Ryan Day would say, well, you know, I mean, I'll have another guy 
like this. So when you are a quarterback guy like Ryan Day is, I think you can lead that. So I think the combination of he was sad, as Nathan said, he was sad. That was a sad quote. That was a, that was not a uh, and frustration and frustration yeah. too. It, that was not a we have a once in a lifetime team. That was a we had a once in a lifetime team kind of thing, right? And quarterback. So sad plus quarterback equals hyperbole. But I think Steven makes an interesting point. I don't maybe, – maybe at Ohio State you can never say that because the next once-in-a-lifetime team is like a recruiting class away. So, you know, you know who could have said that? Coach O last year at yeah. LSU. That was a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> team. He'll never have a team like that again, as we saw on well, Saturday. Well, he could say it. Right, he could say it after the fact. I don't know that he was saying it at the start of the season, though, and I think that's another thing. You're talking about once-in-a-lifetime team. I think those things, it almost has to be a team that exceeds even lofty expectations and becomes something just like some behemoth that nobody could have seen coming, like LSU did last year. And it has to happen at a place where it never happens. Yeah. Where usually you're maybe a middle of the pack or you're at this level, and all of a sudden, because of a great recruiting class or a solid hire somewhere, or you get a transfer quarterback or all of those things combined, like LSU, you know, you're 15 and 0 with a 60 touchdown passing quarterback, but that usually doesn't happen at LSU. That's what makes it once in a lifetime. And quarterback is so important. I mean, again, Ryan day, his immediate history, he can look at JT Barrett and say, man, I, I played I played a season here with JT Barrett. Justin Fields is better than that. I played a season here with Dwayne Haskins. He was really good. Justin Fields is better than that. I can go back and look at Braxton Miller, or I can look at when Tate Martell and Matthew Baldwin were perhaps potential starting quarterbacks here. Braxton Miller is really good. This is better than that. So I think that's a Justin Fields quote. It's a sad Justin Fields quote. And I get where he's coming from, but he's also wrong. Question number two, it's a double question. One is from the 513. An Oklahoma offensive lineman opted out of the season following the Kansas State loss. If, if Ohio State loses to Penn State in week two, does any player opt out after that game? And from the 317, if any of Ohio State's top players, say a third-round draft projection or higher, were to test positive for COVID during the season, do you think they would return after the 21-day suspension period, or would they opt out? So we're talking about opt-outs in the middle. We've had a lot of people opt back in for this. The Oklahoma offensive lineman who opted out after K-State was a backup. So he was a guy who was like top 300 national recruit at one time, but he's not a starter there. He's the third overall player to opt out of Oklahoma. It's not like their Josh Myers or Wyatt Davis opted out after a loss. So I want to make sure we put that in context. But Nathan, just the idea of an Ohio State or I guess anywhere else, Anywhere where maybe there's a team that right now you would think would have a chance at a national title, can you envision a world where when it becomes clear that team doesn't have a shot at the national title anymore, somebody on that team is like, I'm out? I don't think it would be one loss, and I certainly don't think it would be just one loss at Penn State. That's not equivalent to what happened with Oklahoma. And again, with Oklahoma, it was that the player wasn't of great consequence either. But, you know, losing on the road at Penn State, second game of the season, still leaves you so many roads to maybe get into the playoffs still. You can still have the season you want. I mean, we've seen in Ohio State history how you can lose early and still repair that down the line. So I don't think it would be that. It would have to be something where – I don't know, multiple losses, things that have to really go sideways. I think the second question is a little bit more 
of a likelihood than the first one. And I don't think, it, and even there, I think it would be depend a lot on timing. I think if somebody were to test positive for COVID late in the season, maybe that would be a factor. I, I think the other thing, though, is in, in that second question is it might depend on how sick the guy got. I mean, if you, you can test positive for COVID, never show any symptoms, and they still have to keep you out, but you never actually get ill. Now, if you actually were to go get sick, I think that actually makes it obviously a completely different situation. I mean, the one thing is like the good stuff for Ohio State's at the end of the year. Right. So it's like, oh, I, 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 got, I got sick and I was out for 21 days for Rutgers, Maryland, and Michigan State. Why would I come back? It's like, I don't know. You'd come back for Michigan and the Big Ten Championship game. Like, that, that's why you would come back. But, Stephen, I have on this podcast sort of thrown shade at the brotherhood idea that, like, listen, lots of teams have great cultures and that kind of thing. I would say this would be one of those things to me that – if you would have guys sort of just be like, oh, we lost, I'm done. Or like, you know what, this COVID quarantine's a pain in the butt, I'm done. Those guys can do whatever they want. But that would call into question. I would think maybe there's some brotherhood stuff in line there. Like, listen, if you're in, you're in with your guys for the whole year. And that if a team had guys leave mid-year, maybe their brotherhood's not as strong. And if you do have a strong brotherhood, you're keeping guys with you all year, even if it gets a little hairy. Yeah, I think that applies to if they lose, especially if they lose to Penn State. It's, at that point, it's, look, y'all went through a lot just to be able to play this season. You might as well play the rest of the year. I think a, a positive test where you now have to sit out three games so that what say – you, say you test positive after the Penn State game and now you're sitting out Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana. Okay, man, yeah, you can get back into the swing of things, but if it happens after the Indiana game, now you're missing Illinois, Michigan State, and Michigan – I mean, that's a lot of football, and that's a health concern, and that maybe turned into a similar situation that Nick Bosa went through when he got injured and just – he never – he opted out. Whether he could actually have played or not the rest of that year at some point down the line, he just opted out and started getting prepared for the NFL draft. I think if a player tests positive, it kind of defeats the idea that you think they can keep you safe and keep you from getting a positive test, and now you're missing three games. There's no point of trying to work your way back onto the field. You might move on, and I think everybody might be okay with you doing that, but just a loss – I think is where the brotherhood comes in and you're just like, I'm here. We went through a lot together to be able to play. We just lost the game. Let's just finish the season. I mean, I will say if that's what guys around the country did, there'd be no teams left. I mean, our whole point is that teams are saying, Ed Ogeron says like a whole bunch of guys at LSU got it. The Wisconsin, the Madison, whatever, Madison Board of Health Mm -hmm. says 45 Wisconsin players had it. Dabo's acting like it's got – I mean – I don't know. So the health comes first. Health and safety comes first. If you're sick, if you're sick, I mean, there's no doubt about it. But if you're sort of what Nathan said, which is you test positive, but maybe you don't really have any symptoms, but you have to quarantine, you have to miss a certain period of time. My God, there's, I mean, there's guys, there's positive guys all over the country. So I'm not saying that that's a bad decision by a guy to say, hey, I tested positive. I'm done. I'm saying I thought the whole reason that people decided to play is they're going to fight through, right? Well, I mean, it, Texas yeah. Tech had 20 guys test positive. Notre Dame had eight. Like, what are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to opt out if you're positive. And if you're sick, it's not really an opt out too. You're just, you're sick. It's the same as being injured. I don't think that's this. It's not an opt out at that point. Right. Um, or, or if you, or if your uh, cardiac MRIs are the rare ones that show some kind of damage or whatever. But, like, the, But have we like, heard a single case of that? No, I heard a single case around the well, country. Of yes, player, the Indiana player, the one, player at the Houston. No, there's a player at Houston. Like, there have been a couple, but not many. It's very rare. 
but we've heard of we've heard of many, many, many positive tests within football programs, and a and a handful. You name two of guys who like can't play as a result. So I guess I'm just health and safety first. I think people don't have the quite the, the right viewpoint yet of how difficult still this may be to get through this season. We have had a bunch of postponed games, postponed games, but what, what we have not had is reports of many guys calling it a season based on positive reports, based on a positive test. And if we had that, that would have a great effect on the ability of many programs to play games. Question three, I made the point on the Monday podcast that I thought Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, maybe were separating themselves. Greg C74 from the 614. Doug, why does COVID-19, no spring football, a weird offseason, et cetera, why does that affect upsets for some teams and not the big three, Ohio State, Bama, Clemson? Do more five stars equal less outside factors? I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm just wondering what the logic is behind it. And I, my logic would be that – there is a threshold of talent and uh, resources and competence and sort of like uh, just everything in place to keep the, the COVID at bay, that when you are the best of the best at that, that really shows up compared to people who are just very good at it. And so it is all those things. They have more talent, more depth of talent to deal with people who are out because of COVID and also, and now I'm going, they also just have more resources. They spend more money. They're more serious about it. And there is a distinction being a a hundred out of a hundred on the scale of our program and how it operates versus a 90 out of a hundred. And I just think there are very few programs who operate at the top echelon of everything. And I think Bama, Clemson, Ohio state are at that echelon. So I think a, because they do that, they'll have fewer issues. And B, because of their depth of talent, they will be better prepared to handle any issues that come along. And I do just think the distinction between them and then the next level, I think there is a distinction there and it'll show up more. So that's my explanation on that. Stephen, do you, do you disagree with that? Do you think that that maybe there's a big, you know, the top 20 programs, like if, if Georgia could have trouble and if LSU and Oklahoma could lose, then yes, Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State should be thrown into that same basket. Or do you sort of believe that, yes, those top three will separate themselves? No, I agree with you. They can separate themselves. One, because they just have depth, a, a talent of depth that some of these other schools don't have. But also it's just, I agree with everything you said, the resources and the depth of Outside of maybe one or two positions, if a guy has to drop off, the guy behind them is probably just as good or maybe even better so they can withstand something like that while, you know, the school's right under that even. There's probably a gap in how many different positions they have that type of depth at. Nathan, are, do you kind of agree or are there some things you disagree with there? No, I agree with that. I mean, but it happened last year too without COVID. I mean, there was still a, a three that had kind of pulled away. I just don't know that it's that uncommon right now in college football that maybe there's these three that have established themselves. I know last year was LSU instead of Alabama, but we already talked about the special circumstances of LSU. I think there might be just kind of right now, this is sort of the trend right now that there's these three teams that have kind of put themselves on another level. And you've got a big scramble now to try to not just pull yourself up and be that sacrificial lamb as the four seed in the playoffs, but also like more consistently get yourself up to that next level. So a team like, like Georgia's, I guess the perfect example of this, like there's so many things that point towards Georgia being supposedly up on that tier, but yet they're always kind of one step behind, whether it's the quarterback issues they're having right now, whether it's the issues they had last year, whatever. So I, 
I, you know, COVID affects it this year too. Also, none of those teams, as long as Sean Wade and, and, and Wyatt Davis can come back and play, none of those teams have had any opt-outs. So you've already right. got three teams that are established at this top tier, and then none of them lost anybody. And you have, I mean, Oklahoma lost its best running back to an opt-out before the season. LSU lost its best player, a top five pick, and Jamar Chase before the season. Georgia, Georgia lost, lost its presumed starting quarterback in yeah. Jamie Newman before the season. So that's – to me, it's a – so when I edit the podcast, and Nathan edits it sometimes too – you, you, you have like a wide view of here's a chunk of, here's a 30-minute, oh, what am I going to say, a 30-minute podcast. Here's an 84-minute podcast. This is Buckeye Talk. We don't do 30-minute podcasts. And you look at it. And when you look at it, you're looking to see, like, is the sound level consistent the whole way through? And it can look pretty consistent. But then you can zoom in. And when you zoom in on something, something that from a wider view looks pretty equal, when you zoom in sometimes – you can really see, oh, wait, I can see now how unequal those things are. And I feel like this season is a zoom lens on college football. And so when you pull back a little bit, listen, you would still be able to tell that Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson are better than Penn State and Georgia and LSU and Oklahoma, but, but it's pretty close. It's good enough. And then when you're forced to zoom in by all this crazy stuff, the gaps are more obvious and so that's how i'm thinking about this COVID is a zoom on everything it's a zoom on your marriage if you were zoom going along pretty good and now you're with your spouse every minute you're zoomed in baby sometimes you don't want to see that zoom right if you're if you're zooming along your company was doing okay and now you got to zoom in maybe your company's really? having layoffs or salary reductions because the zoom hits you so we're you know that's this is this is a magnifying glass on life when things don't go as expected, and I think it applies to college football as well. Next up from the five six one, guys, do you believe the Big Ten will readdress their once again premature decision to not allow any fans in any stadium this season? You'd think they would have learned this their lesson a month ago by making hard and fast decisions way before they needed to be made, but here we are again. Watching football on Saturday with fans in the stadiums, I couldn't help but think of what it will look like under the gray skies and empty stadiums with zero noise for Purdue versus Rutgers. Why do they keep boxing themselves into corners? We've kind of talked about this at times. I think it's an interesting question. Nathan, again, just this, we may as well keep stating it for the record where we are on this. I think there probably will be continued reporting on this the closer we get to a season. Where are you on this, Nathan, right now? Well, the families can come to games, the families of players, families of staff. Those people are allowed into games, but that's it. Right now, the Big Ten has set a policy that it won't sell tickets to the general public for these games. However, I quibble a little bit with the premise of the question because I don't think this is the same thing as canceling the season because the way to undo this is, is so much easier, and I think it doesn't involve the same kind of infrastructure and the same kind of problems. I mean, you can just – reassess and decide, okay, now we will sell X number of tickets for each game. And I think, you know, Kristen Johnson, the Ohio State president, said it uh, the day of the announcement that, or maybe it wasn't her that day, but she eventually talked about it. And I think other people, other leaders have talked about it, that they can, they will reassess this. If, if they, if somebody brings them information and says, um, if they're, and I think it has to come from their medical committee, but I think, or their medical committee would at least have to sign off on it. But if somebody comes and says, Hey, maybe we should look at this again, because the right now, one of the problems or at the time that they made the decision, one of the problems was the existence of COVID, the, the caseloads on campus for several schools was a big problem. And they weren't going to be able to have anybody in those stadiums at all. And it varies from place to place. So if those, if those restrictions start to let loosen, I think you will see the Big Ten revisit this. I would be surprised 
if we're doing a market down Tuesday. I would be surprised if there are not Big Ten games that allow fans before the end of this season. I think it's a decision that will be revisited, but it will be revisited with science, and it will be revisited, and the presidents are the ones that are going to have to sign off on it, not a bunch of ADs. Stephen, we've had sort of this happen along the way where the Big Ten decides something or a conference decides something, and then you see another conference do it, and, and that has to – I don't think that's the end-all, be-all – but do you think if the Big Ten is sitting around and watching games where there are fans in the stands, do you think that has an effect on their thinking? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it has some effect on why we're playing a season along with some other things. But, yes, I do think by the time we get to that October 23rd, 24th date, they'll probably increase that number a little bit. And as they go throughout the season, as they learn more information, maybe by the time we get to the Ohio State-Michigan game, I don't know if they're going to be at the exact same level that the SEC and the ACC and Big 12 are at as far as fans, but they'll be somewhere in that ballpark just because they'll have more information. That's how the Big Ten has kind of gone about this is the more information we have, the more the better decisions we can make, which I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, leading the pack. It's more seeing how some – it's more, you know, pushing somebody else in the water and seeing, you know, how cold the water is, and then you follow them along. But, yeah, that's how they've handled this. They, they've seen somebody else do it, and then they tweak it and, you know, do it in their own version. We're still 26 days away from the start of the Big Ten yeah. season. So there's still a lot of data to gather out there from other conferences. I don't know why we don't look at it that way. Like, you know, the Big Ten gets to kind of sit back and see what happens in these coming weeks, see what just happened in the SEC over the weekend, see what happens in the next weekend. They've got time to look around before they decide what their next step is going to be on a number of issues. And I, I will say, we've, we've talked about this again. It's about the decision-making process. If the Big Ten had said when they announced they were coming back, we don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands, then people would have been saying, well, when are you going to decide? When are you going to decide? Well, how come you could do this? How come you haven't decided? So they said there's no fans in the stands. You were not getting a yes on the day they came back. If you would have gotten a maybe, it probably would have been frustrating. So they gave you a no. But I think it's very possible, as you guys both said, that they reconsider it. So, again, it's a, you have to understand the process here. And, Nathan, to your point, it's the right one. It's very easy to undo this. They can make a decision and sell the tickets instantaneously. It is not a big deal. And when they, if and when they do sell them, they're not going to try to fill up the stadium. People are going to be fighting to get these seats, even for Purdue Rutgers, I think. So it's, it's, I, get, I get exactly why they're doing it. Because in the end, they had to get this schedule back. They had to tell people, are we playing? When are we playing? They did not have to figure out every little detail along the way. But I am in agreement with you guys. I think in the end, I, I am expecting that some number of fans will be in the stands uh, for at least some of the games. Maybe not week one, but at least some of the games. And I, and I think the way they're handling this is actually fine. I think if on Friday, the 17th of October, Ohio State and the Big Ten announced that all stadiums were selling 5,000 tickets for the first game starting Monday at 9 a.m., what time would those tickets be sold out? Like 9 a.m. and 30 seconds? And frankly, they probably won't even ever go out to the public. They'll go right. straight to right. season ticket holders right. and, and students, and, which is fine. Right, right. Um, just right. like they do with bowl tickets. I mean, a lot of those times, like, they get, they, they get sucked up by the people who have the ins before the general public gets to them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think – but I think you're right. They, they will – because they're not going to try to sell – it's not going to be 100,000. And by the, by the way, again, the other way, I follow enough epidemiologists on Twitter now – there are epidemiologists who are looking at the crowds and how sometimes they aren't super socially distanced at every game. And they, are, and they are saying, what are we doing? So let's again be careful. The, hey, look, other conferences have fans in the stands. 
is not like the only argument that is matters here because they might have fans in the stands in a silly, perhaps dangerous, but at the very least, not the safest thing you can do. And so the Big Ten isn't going to only do it because somebody else is doing it right now. That's been faulty logic from the beginning. You know, all these people are like, can you believe the Big Ten's not playing while all these other conferences are playing except for all the schools that just had to postpone their games this weekend because of all their COVID tests? Can you believe that? Yeah. Like it's been like people have been kind of leaving off half of the argument. And that leads us to this next question from the 614. It's Chris from Powell. Is Ohio State more likely to miss a game because too many Ohio State players test positive for COVID or because another team does? I think Ohio State players and coaches are so locked in on making the playoff, they will tightly police themselves. My worry is other teams that have less to play for and don't see a downside in canceling a game due to positive tests. As Ohio State only plays six games, even if undefeated, I can see them being left out of the playoff where other teams go nine and one. So Ralph Russo from the AP is, is doing a really good job of tracking on his Twitter account all the, the postponed games. Last I checked, I think he had it at 26 through this weekend. And I looked at his list of those 26, only three of those games were involved both power five teams. So I think that as an important thing, it's been some of the, like the American conference, right. Kind of games. It was when some of the big 12 and, and uh, ACC teams were trying to play non-conference games. A lot of those got a little wacky and got postponed. Uh, there was Notre Dame, South Florida, Notre Dame. Well, Notre Dame, South Florida, right. That's, but that was Notre Dame's fault. Even though it wasn't a power five versus power five game, the three power five games that were postponed, North Carolina state, Virginia tech, that was postponed because of North Carolina state, then Virginia, Virginia tech, that was postponed because of Virginia tech, then Notre Dame wake forest this past weekend. That's why we did the retalkables that was postponed because of Notre Dame. And then South Florida, it was like a domino effect, right? So my point is, there have been 26 games postponed is nothing to, to shrug at. That's a big deal. But I do think staying in your conference, I think has proven to be the right decision. Some of the stuff, the big 12 trying to play, let's get that Oklahoma, Missouri state game out of the way early on. I'm not sure why any of that ever made sense. So I think the big 10 and the sec are right. The way they've done it. The sec has been right a, a, a lot along the way here. They had a, a nice opening weekend for them that, all the games were played and we, we don't have all the, but everything seems fine. They're only playing conference games. So I do think that they're in conference. I don't know that there's a huge distinction then between what Ohio state's doing and what other, their opponents are going to do because the big 10 has conference rules, but, but Steven, like the idea of, okay, well, everyone has the same tests, I guess, but is Ohio state trying harder because there's more at risk I guess my answer would be, I guess if I had to say which is more likely, I would say it'd be more likely that an Ohio State would be post, game would be postponed because of the opponent having too many positive tests than Ohio State. But I'm not sure I think that that's a huge gap. Yeah, I mean, for the sake of because Ohio State's playing for a national championship, yeah, maybe it's for the opponent. But I, I don't know if the reasoning because Ohio State is playing for a national championship is why. I think, I mean – people would do everything they can to not catch COVID anyway, even if they weren't competing for a national championship. So I don't necessarily think that's the right reasoning for it, but I mean, sure. For the sake of, if we're going to use that, then yeah, it would be the opponent because Ohio State's playing for more, but I don't like that reasoning because you're not, you don't want to catch COVID because you don't want to catch COVID but regardless of what's going on in the football world. Are, are the average college students, are average college students behaving as if they don't want to catch COVID? I don't know. I mean, like, 
I'm not trying to, I mean, there's a lot of people yeah. out there who are behaving as if they're not that worried about catching COVID. And so I think it's easy to fall into that. I mean, the whole country has moved toward that. The whole country is much less worried yeah. about catching COVID than they were in March. I guess that's good. I understand we can't be locked in our house, houses for the rest of our lives. But I do think, um, I do think your mindset and your approach has some effect on it. So how much you don't, Nobody wants to get it, but how much you don't want to yeah. get it factors in to some degree. Nathan, how do you, what do you think the balance would be on the likelihood if an Ohio State game is postponed, what is the chance that it would be, what percent chance it was Ohio State tests that were positive versus the opponent? Oh, man, such a weird – I mean, I guess, like, I would think it would be more like 80% the opponent. Um, I think the other factor here is, too, Ohio State has more incentive to – kind of gut through and play every game, right? And there's going to be a stretch on this schedule where even if they were to have several postponements, wouldn't they maybe still try to play if they thought they could beat Rutgers anyway? You know what I'm kind of saying here? That I feel like that they – Isn't there a threshold? There's, I mean, it's about being there are, a threshold yeah. where you can't play, right? Well, yeah, there, there is that. There is that. Yeah, the Big Ten does have the, the testing um, – that's a good point. The Big Ten does have that testing set up. I, I do agree, though, that I think that there's there's a diligence that Ohio State was following that I think, again, based on what we've heard, I mean, and you you heard it from Kristen Johnson last week, that the week that the Big Ten made the decision to come back, Ohio State's testing um, load was 0% for the football program. Um, I don't think that was true of every program in the Big Ten. It certainly wasn't true of every program in the nation at that point. So I, there is some evidence that Ohio State was being – maybe more diligent and, and doing a better job with this than the average program. And I don't think there's any reason to think that that won't continue um, because it sounds like the accountability is there, the self-accountability within the team. They did have a wrinkle. They did have a time where they had to pause, but other, for the most part, it sounds like they've been doing a good job with it. So I, I do think it's, if, if it happens, it's less likely to be because it's a problem on Ohio state side. Right. And I, but I, but I don't think, I do think there's a gap. I agree with all that but I don't think it's as much of a gap as if Ohio state was playing a non-conference game. And I do think of all the things yeah, the true. big 10 did, I think the big 10 early on saying we're not doing non-conference. I think that was the right move. And I think yeah. some of these other conferences that have tried to play non-conference games, I'm not sure that the benefit is there for the risk maybe that they're taking because it, it risks not just that game, but sort of it puts your players at risk from a health standpoint and, and risks the rest of your season that actually matters more. All right, we're going to take a quick break here on Buckeye Talk. We'll be back. We have a question about Greg Studrawa's recruiting. We have a question about expanding the college football playoff this year, and then somebody sent me a Tim Beck joke question, which made me happy. Nathan, Steve, and Doug, we'll be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back from the 317. Again, tech subscribers, we love you. We love everybody. We love everybody. Everybody loves everybody, E-L-E. But tech subscribers, you get that you get that hot, fresh Ohio State take. Uh, we're doing interviews again this week. Do we have Tuesday, Thursday interviews with players again this week? Is that the correct? Plan. That's the, the plan. plan as of now. And then Ryan Day on Friday. Ryan Day on Friday. So we we get the hot, fresh uh, information and analysis right into your phones. Three ninety nine a month. It's a really good deal. Three ninety nine a month. Six one four three five zero three three one five for a fourteen day free trial. And then you can ask us questions for the pod like this person from the 317 did. I'm starting to wonder about the longevity of Greg Studrawa. He just doesn't seem to be the recruiter that the other, coach, other coaches are. And when he lands someone big, it appears to be for other reasons, like someone's in state, they have Ohio ties, et cetera. What is your feeling on his future? 
Stephen, we'll let you take this one at the start as the recruiting guy. Um, is that is the framing of the question fair? Do you think that does it feel like Greg Sudrawa is not quite the recruiter that other coaches on the staff are? Yeah. In that light, yes, because when you look at – I mean, the 2020 class is a bunch of Ohio kids that you should land, especially Paris Johnson Jr. You went and got Luke Whipler, who was 108 in his class. That's a solid get. But, you know, if they don't get Tristan Lee, which they're probably not at this point, he's pro- it's L- every, all the momentum is in LSU's favor, then this is even more of an issue where you're getting these national guys who actually have Ohio ties. And Donovan Jackson, he lives in Texas, but that's because his dad got a job down there. He's actually a Cincinnati kid. So that's a fight. That's an Ohio guy. And then Ming Kristen, I mean, he's from Ohio. And, so, and you, know, you missed out on J.C. Latham, which is why you got so late in the game on Tristan Lee where you started to ramp that up. You had been talking to him, but even Tristan Lee admitted to me when I talked to him that he could tell that once J.C. Latham committed to Alabama, that's when Ohio State really started to ramp up the recruitment for him. And so you started there. And so right now, and in 2022, Tego Tishabola is your only guy. And you're in on some five-star guys like Gunnar Givens, but that's another guy with Ohio ties. So – to that point, yes, you're getting high-level talent. It's just guys where they'd probably be considering Ohio State if you were there or not because they either grew up in Ohio and just happened to move somewhere or they've got family in the area, so they've always thought about it. Gunnar Gibbons told me he wasn't narrowing down his list until he got the Ohio State offer. He, he was waiting on that. So, yeah, when you haven't necessarily gotten a top 50 national guy who's legitimately a national guy since Harry Miller in 2019, I know you had a run before that with Nicholas Petit Prayer and Wyatt Davis, but for the most part, a lot of your work is guys that would be considering you anyway, even if you weren't the coach here. I mean, it's fair. To, it's something to look at. Luke Whipler was good, right? Luke yeah, Whipler that's like 108. Yeah, right outside the top 100. That's a quality get out of New Jersey. So you, got, you give him that, but as far as these five-star kids – it's a little fair right now to say that he's only getting guys who would maybe be considering Ohio State regardless. I think that's a very fair way to think about it. Who are the kids that would come to Ohio State no matter who the coaches were and who are the guys that are here because you build a relationship? You know, Brian Hartline and Julian Fleming, that's like a thing, right? Like why is Julian Fleming, who, who's from the, under the shadow of, of Penn State's campus, he came here instead. That's something for Brian Hartline. Uh, you know, as much as I think Tony Alford is hit and miss at times, but it's not like Travion Henderson is a guaranteed Ohio State mm-hmm. get that they have to get some five-star running back out of Virginia. That's not a sure thing. You know, Larry Johnson's done it again and again and again. Why does Chase Chase Young is definitely coming to Ohio State? Why? Now the Boses were different. The Boses had connections. They they really like Mike Vrabel, then they also like Larry Johnson. But Chase Young, what the heck is why is Chase Young here? Why did Jeff Okuda come here? Right? I mean that that that. What Kerry Combs now, first time around, now he's back. He's established something that guys want to be part of. And so Stud definitely had a downturn there for a little bit, which is why in the transition from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, I didn't think Stud was a sure thing on the new Ryan Day staff. And then it felt like he got re-energized a little bit early in Ryan Day. Um, but now here they are, you know, they, they've, they haven't landed like the big time tackle that they've sort of been searching for in this class from a national perspective. So I will say, Nathan, one thing that's hard is, but it's also life of the big city is to be compared to your peers on this Ohio state coaching staff. There are some excellent recruiters on this Ohio state coaching staff. And so to say, well, he's not as good as Kerry Combs or he's not as good as Larry Johnson or he's not as good as Brian Hartline or he's not as good as Tony Alford when Tony Alford is hitting is like, true. Does that mean that you should like be replaced? 
right? That's the question. Um, yeah, th and that's kind of like – I look at it the same way I look at the Ohio State roster a little bit. Like, oh, you're only the ninth best player on Ohio State's defense. Well, guess what? That means you're starting for you're, – you're like the premier player on half the teams in the Big Ten probably, right? I mean, it, it, a little bit – and I also look at this roster right now. I'm looking at – you know, other than Thayer Munford, who's a, you know, a veteran guy who like built himself into what he is, um, you, then you've got – elite guys ready at every single other position right now, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Harry Miller, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis might be the best interior offensive lineman in the country, and Greg Stradrava went and parked on his street and made sure to get him, right? I know there were still Ohio yep. connections there too, but still he went to California to get him. Um, you've got what you have at right tackle between Nicholas Petit-Frere and, and Paris Johnson. By the way, also, when you get someone like Paris Johnson in a recruiting class, you know what that makes it hard to do? Go get another five-star left tackle in that recruiting class. It's I don't know. I think that presence also I, – I, I'm curious. I would love to talk to some tackles in this class and say, well, the fact that you know the Ohio State has Paris Johnson established there, and has Nicholas Petit Frere there for maybe another year. Does that make you less likely to, to go to Ohio State? I don't know. Um, it, so, I, again, I, I think you're right. that it's, it's, If you're just comparing him to Larry Johnson, you're comparing him to Brian Hartline, who can recruit three or four or five-star guys at, his, at a position in a given year, I think, because he knows that everybody knows they're going to rotate six guys, and there's a lot of a possibility there. I don't think that same thing exists for offensive line. I think it's – it, it's, a, it's, it's a different position. It's, it's a very tough position, I think, to evaluate at the high school level. I think you kind of have to measure it against itself a little bit rather than just measuring it against other positions. So a couple things. One, you're right, Nathan. For the most part, it's very hard to get two five-star tackles in the same class unless you're Nick Saban and you get Tommy Brockemeyer and J.C. Latham, who are both you know, top seven players at their position of five-star guys. But I do think to, let, to the point of Larry Johnson, he might run into a similar situation. And the only difference between him and Stud is Larry Johnson's probably the best human being in the world at what he does. And I don't know if Greg Tajawa is at his, but, you know, Jack Sawyer is from 15 minutes down the street. Zach Harrison's from 15 minutes down the street. In 2023, there's a kid at, who goes to Mentor High School who's probably going to be a five-star guy and probably going to end up at Ohio State. So every other year, Larry Johnson is running into a, a, a similar situation where the five-stars he's getting are right in his backyard as well. It's just – Larry, to the point, Larry Johnson's a legend. And so, you know, you've seen him go get a guy like Chase Young. You've seen Stud do it as well, but he seems to have a lot more lows in his recruiting than Larry Johnson has had over the years. I do think in Ed Warren, or if Ed Warren's listening, he can have a fight with me about this. I think offensive line recruiting is different than recruiting at other positions. Mm -hmm. And you have to package the recruiting and the development together. I think there are some offensive line coaches who are better recruiters. There are some who are better developers. If you're a guy if you got Pat Elfline, right, and Pat Elfline was a recruit who was in the whatever, 600s or 800s, and he becomes a first-team All-Big Ten offensive lineman and wins the Remington Award, it's like the offensive line coach gets credit for that somewhere, right? I mean, either, okay, well, he wasn't a top 100 recruit, but you helped develop this guy into an All-Big Ten lineman. So I do think you can be one or the other. I mean, you can't go 0 for 2 in those, right? So, for instance, for, for Greg Stadrawa right now, the, the class of guys that like the freshmen that, that we're talking about now to have Paris Johnson and Luke Whipler as really highly rated guys in the 2020 class. And then the other four guys on the offensive line in 2020 are much lower rated. They're Midwest kids, much lower rated. And then Dewan Jones is in there as a much lower rated guy in the class before two of those guys got to pop somebody you got to, some of those guys have to turn into starters or at least really good, solid sixth or seventh guys on the line, maybe because, you know, Tegra Tushabala or somebody else is below them and coming. But in a year, it's hard. But they, in the, 
the past year or two, there were a couple holes in this line at times where it was like, what are they, what are they doing here? It's like they had to get Jonah Jackson from Rutgers because it was like, what's going on? You know, it's partly because Michael Jordan left unexpectedly. But they've had that before where – so if in the next year or two they're having to patch and they're like out in the transfer portal sort of out of desperation, that's going to be the judge of whether Greg Stutra was getting it done or not. If two or three of these kids in the 800s in the recruiting rankings – are solid Big Ten starters, and who? I mean, who cares? Yeah. You got Paris; he's going to be an All-American. You got Harry Miller; he might be an All-American. And then you fill in with a bunch of solid Midwest guys that you developed. That works. That's an offensive line you can win with. But I do think questions about it for Stud are fair, right, Stephen? And in the end, and to the point of, you don't have to be Larry Johnson. You can't just say you're not as good as Larry Johnson. That's not fair. But I think the questions about Stud, because he does seem up and down, are fair. Yeah, it's a quality plan if that's how you're going to go about it until it doesn't work. Well, that's any plan. But, yeah, as, as long as you're – I think it's that. But as, also, as long as he's landing the t- Paris Johnsons of the world, the guy where all you have to do is get on 71 to go get him, then he's also – and then he's developing the three stars, he's fine. It's the moment you – if Paris Johnson would have ended up at Michigan or Tennessee or wherever else he was visiting back in that spring, then, then it becomes an issue because not only are you not getting the national guys, you're not locking down your state. If you would have piled Paris Johnson on top of Jackson Carmen, there would be sirens going off in Columbus. Oh, yeah. Right. So, again, it's hard. Yes, it's easier to recruit kids in your own backyard. But, but miss on a kid in your backyard and watch everybody go crazy. So you can't just take it for granted when they get them. But I also think sometimes we give too much. Like, we, we make so much of the recruiting rankings that, you know, going to get Nicholas Petit Frere and getting him to come here was, like, such a huge deal. But right now – that decision and that recruitment hasn't paid off any more than in, in some ways than the Dewan Jones recruitment has right now. Right. Where you go get a three-star guy who's much more of a project and you turn it, you're starting to turn him into something that may be a real contributor. And also when I look ahead into the future, like look, let's look ahead to next year's offensive line where it could be Paris Johnson, at left tackle, um, some combination of Whipler and Harry Miller at center and guard, um, probably Petit Frere or, or maybe Dewan Jones at right tackle. So I, you're starting to – I think there's reason for optimism at that point. And then all of a sudden, then you've just got what's left over at guard. But, I mean, even at guard, the other guard spot, you've probably got people like, you know, uh, Matthew Jones and was fairly highly ranked, right? I mean, Enoch Vamahi was like – taught was 125, 124, something like that in the country. I mean, these aren't complete slouches that I, I just don't see these the, – the, the holes really here that, that some other people are seeing. I know, I'm not it, saying that they weren't there before. Yeah. But as far as like where this program is right now, I think it's it's – fairly secure on the offensive line. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Yeah, I think some of it is just, you know, the J.C. Latham, I mean, he'd been crystal ball to Ohio State for six months, and then randomly Alabama just came in and stole him. And then you you realize how far behind you were with the guy that was maybe next on your board where you put all your marbles in on J.C. Latham, and so now you have to kind of reassess things with Tristan Lee, and it might be a little too late. I think that's playing a little bit of a role. All right, let's move on to the playoff. We're going to do, we were just talking about it. We would like to, we'll do a a recruiting uh, mailbag Q&A with tech subscribers, a a reset here in the next couple podcasts. So we'll put out a call out to the tech subscribers to ask more questions about recruiting, where they are with the the end of this 21 class, where they are with uh, some of the higher profile 22 guys. So we haven't done that in a while. We'll get into that um, in the next week or so. By the way, Matthew Jones, number 68 nationally. So really not even that far from being at probably like five-star level. Right, right. And as a backup. Right, for now. Right. 
From the 269, instead of having the committee choose the four best teams with unequal resumes in terms of number of games played and risk utter chaos among teams that don't get selected but had an argument, wouldn't this be the perfect year to expand the playoff to eight teams to provide more margin for error for the committee? Just this year for now. Plus, given that teams are playing less games this year, there would be no net negative effect on the playoff team health by playing an extra game. Would love to know your thoughts. I'm sure you've heard some of this chatter. So this idea, we also, we talked in a podcast recently about the idea of, is this a perfect year for four? Because that was before the Pac-12 was going to play. But when it felt like if there are going to be four conferences, power conferences, you just slot those four champs in, maybe it's easier. I mean, I think, you know, we talk about playoff expansion is one of those things that college football people always talk about. Nathan, the idea that there would be more of an argument for an eight-team playoff this year, that specific idea, do you agree with that? I, well, I, I, I think the ideal year for an 18 playoff would have been 2014. I wish they'd had one from the beginning. Um, so I'm ready for them to, to, to move to it now. I, I do see what they're saying. I do, with a season that's this unpredictable, that's this kind of up in the air, do you, um, you, you just kind of build in more um, margin for error for, for just the sport in some ways, right? That this way it, 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 it helps kind of, take some of the, the, the tough decisions that come from the uneven schedules or any of that. You don't have, you don't risk someone getting left out for something that's completely out of their control that costs them one game when that, when that thing's being weighed. I, I suppose I could hear that argument, but I just, I think there should be eight teams as is. Steven, do you think there's more of an argument this year than any other year? Yeah, there is just because you know, no margin for error. If a team like, let's just say Georgia loses a game, but it's because, they had two or three guys, you know, test positive with COVID, so they didn't have their full roster. I mean, but then they run the table the rest of the way, or they only lose to – the only other team they lose to is Alabama. It still gives them a margin of error for probably to get in. But, yeah, I think the big thing is if they do it this year, I don't see a world where you can go back to four teams when the world goes back to normal because an eight-team playoff is going to work. I think eight team is, is – when they go to eight, it's eight. Yeah. And that's the thing. I do think that's a good point, Stephen, that once you, once you go, you're never going to go back. So I don't know that they would want to like be forced into going or go earlier than they maybe would otherwise plan to go. You know what I mean? Because there mm-hmm. is, I, I, I think the idea that like this cannot be a one-off, right? That people would like it too much. It's not a one-year decision. It's a permanent decision, right, Stephen? That like it felt yeah. if you did it, that's it, isn't it? Because now people have seen it. Obviously, people are going to watch it and people are going to love it. So to go backwards and go back to four, people are going to go. I mean, you're going to have fans all over saying, eight teams worked. Why are we going back to this? You're going to hear coaches talking about it. Whoever was the seven seed is going to be upset if they're, when they're the seven seed again and they're going to be able to say, well, last year this time we were a playoff team and this year because we decided to go back to four, we're getting left out. So, yeah, once you open that box, you can't close it. So that's probably why they're being hesitant with it. Let me ask this question, though. Nathan, do you believe that four teams this year with all the craziness, do you believe there is a legitimate chance of a team who actually could win the national title being left out of the playoff? In, in this season, that is starting to seem less likely for the reasons we stated before, that there may just be three runaway trains that are going to collide at some point. Kind of like, kind of like what last year ended ended up looking like. But I think we only really got a, a perception of that as that season unfolded. I don't think we were saying that from the beginning. So, so, so that's the thing for me is in the era when it was just two teams, I felt like often a team that could have won the won the national title was left out. And so that's like that's a line in the sand. So I just 
And you can't fit the system to the current, like how many good teams on there are there. But if we're talking about, if we are talking about it as a one-off, that is not a great concern for me. That between COVID and the different number of games, a legit national title contender is going to get screwed. I just, like, I don't feel that. I don't feel that worry in my gut as this season really starts to roll. I think that's an interesting academic argument too, because I, I do feel like once you go to eight, I do think it it might change the structure of the sport a little bit. I, I think it opens things up maybe for other programs that 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 feel a little bit closed off, or maybe just that one or two recruit. I don't know. That, I think that's an interesting thing to think about and study. Like, does it once you go to eight, does that mix things up enough that it brings it it maybe pushes teams together a little bit, not fully, not fully. You're still going to have those teams that are there to clear floor runners as you do. in even the NFL, I think from year to year, there's some teams that go out and separate themselves and are high seeds repeatedly. But um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I suspect that that might happen to some extent. Yeah. I think talent follows winning. So if there's more teams who have an opportunity to win a national championship, it might spread out the talent a little bit, not for it. Not a lot. Like Alabama and Ohio state are still going to have top five classes, but you know, Maybe a team like uh, North Carolina has a solid 2021 recruiting class. Maybe they're able to put together a top five recruiting class randomly because now it's this opportunity to be that second ACC team that gets in playing for Mac Brown. Maybe that helps. So it, it swings maybe the guy who would go to Clemson and be, you know, at the bottom of the depth chart his first two years. He could go to North Carolina and be a starter as a second year guy. All right. Last quick break. Back with a Tim Beck joke right after this. All right, wrapping it up here on Buckeye Talk. We'll have the big Wednesday pod this week. We plan to have a Retalkables at the end of this week. We kind of were spitballing this. It feels like we will put out to texters a Penn State game to pick. Nathan and Steven, do, do we come to kind of an agreement on that, that we are going to Penn State this out- week? And then okay. uh, do we want to say what the schedule is beyond that? Yeah, but, so we think there's probably three Retalkables that we can mm-hmm. still do before we get into game week. And so – we said probably a Penn State game this week. Then we are pretty sure we're going to do the 1968 Ohio State-Michigan game because we want to do a Michigan game. We want to do a Woody game. That game is available on YouTube. And then we'll do a national game to wrap it up, probably a national championship or playoff type game. So, um, But we want to give the texters a, a pick on the Penn State game. So we'll get a list together, find out what's available on YouTube, send it out, and then we'll do a Buckeye Retalkable at the end of this week on Ohio State, Penn State, probably a recruiting podcast. I have an idea for the Big Wednesday pod, but of course we always go a little longer on that. So we'll wrap up with this very quickly because I just appreciate when people get the podcast from the 704. I live in Raleigh and Tim Beck is the offensive coordinator here at North Carolina State. For Doug, if I ever run into him, what should I say? Um, I would ask him for advice on how to fail upward in life. And how do you manage to constantly get jobs? Because I just Googled this. So North Carolina State uh, won their opener against Wake Forest 45-42. And everybody was going crazy about the North Carolina State offense. Then they lost their second game to Virginia Tech 45-24. And just running through a Tim Beck Twitter search, there are two things in there. There are the Texas fans who lived through Tim Beck the last couple years who are making Tim Beck jokes in absentia now that he's gone. And while they are criticizing Texas for having trouble so far this year, they are somehow blaming Tim Beck for that. Still, they have like a Tim Beck hangover 
they are still, they can't shake Tim Beck. Simultaneously, you will find North Carolina State people who are like, Tim Beck is here to save us. Oh my God, he transformed the offense. And that exactly is the Tim Beck experience. The people who had him at their school before try to warn the new people. They say, listen, man, I'm telling you, this guy is not it. And the new people are like, this is great. We love him. And then the same stuff starts to show up. And then those people are like, please get rid of this guy. And the cycle repeats itself. He was at Nebraska. Nebraska said, this guy's not it. He came to Ohio State. The Nebraska people tried to warn us. Finally, Ohio State figured out he wasn't it. He went to Texas. We tried to warn Texas. Texas, not it. Maybe it was it early on. Definitely not it. Tom Herman, who's like Tim Beck's buddy, gets rid of him. Now he's at North Carolina State, and the Texas people are trying to warn you, North Carolina State. So for the person in the 704, I would worry less about seeing Tim Beck walking around Raleigh, and I would worry more about the people in Raleigh. You, from the 704, as an Ohio State fan, you must warn them. Get out the message. All right. Good stuff ahead. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop a couple of reviews. We got a review the other day that said the best sports podcast, which is just a wonderful headline. Thanks for that review. And, and try the text, man. It's a good time to try the text. So thanks to everybody for listening. Big Wednesday pod. Recruiting something coming up. We're talkable still coming. Nathan, who's the group that we're supposed to get on Tuesday to speak with to learn information about? Receivers tomorrow, linebackers Thursday is the preliminary plan. It's it's kind of fluid, but that's what they've that's what they've given us so far. Okay, so we should find out more about that uh, that receiver room, which is very interesting. And this past Friday, there were the tight uh, the Kevin Wilson is a tight ends coach, but he talked about the running back stuff, and we haven't really talked about that on the pod very much yet. We haven't yet, uh, and we want to get into that at some point. I could see us getting into that what this running back rotation might look like. That might happen on the big Wednesday pod a little bit. But for now, on behalf of Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. 